Coming up, Donna Peskow joins Ileana in just a second. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, it's the I Blame Dennis Hopper podcast, starring Ileana Douglas. Eavesdrop with Ileana as she interviews Hollywood's most prominent players about filmmaking, acting, and what really happens on the set of your favorite flicks and TV show. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Starting the day with a giggle. Welcome to the I Blame Dennis Hopper podcast. This is Ileana Douglas. I am here with my lovely co-host, Tamara Berg. Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm so excited on the show to have Donna Pascal. Oh my! Um, obviously, done so many great things in her career, but you know, to be in a classic film like Saturday Night Fever is pretty amazing. Pretty, and we big were deal. already <laughs> we were outside. Yeah, as happens every gabbing. time that we have a guest here. I know. Uh, I get so excited. Donna was super early, by the way, too, because she was, and I and I knew that was going to happen because she yes. was also very on the ball with all of the communication with me. Setting. She wrote up. us a note. Yeah, exactly. She wrote it. us a note. She was like so, so on it, cute. and so she was early, and uh, she was saying, "Well." Um, on time is late for me, so right. <laughs> so early is is on time. Anyway, so there was a little extra time out in the green room to chat, and you guys started getting really deep into conversation. And I'm sitting there listening, and I'm like, so "Oh wait, wait, wait! Stop, stop, stop! Stop talking! Stop talking!" Because we need to do that inside so everyone else can hear, not just us. It's my favorite thing to do. It's just I want to get all the want to get every all the scoop, everything that happened. We're going to get into that. Yes. Okay. Couple things. Yes. Uh, as I have mentioned before on the um, on the on the show, I'm a member of the Academy, mm-hmm. and I try to see you know most of the movies in the theater. Sometimes you you can't see all of them, so I'm catching up on some of my movies. And I watched uh, over the weekend the back-to-back, uh, you know, dr- drug uh, drug films. Oh, good lord! One is the <laughs> one is uh, Ben is back, and oh, right, I did not see that one. The other one is Beautiful Boy, which I did see. Now here is my editorial comment okay. about both films, which are rem- weirdly similar. In the plot line. Oh, really? Okay. Now, first of all, I want to say, great at everything is it's well acted and mm-hmm. well directed, well shot. It's you know, it's all very well done. But what was fascinating to me was that the drug addiction was actually told from the point of view of the parents. Yes. Not of the drug addict. Right. And in my recollection of seeing, you know, to me, one of the, you know, greatest movies about uh, drug addiction. Well, there's two. There's The Man with the Golden Arm. Okay. Which is um, Frank Sinatra, which is unbelievable. And the other movie, and I'm sure there's others, but the one that I saw, I was way too young to see this, but everybody already knows what I'm going to say. Because I loved Al Pacino. (laughs) Everyone's out there screaming. It's bad. A good needle park, but I loved Al Pacino, and I should not have seen that movie. But God, again, really? that movie was from the point of view of the drug addict, mm-hmm. and especially, I mean, Man with a Golden Arm. It's like, and in another really uh, very good um, film about drug addiction, which then affects the whole family, is called Hatful of Rain. So those oh. are interesting ones that people want to watch. Um, how these movies used to be done. Of course, Days of Wine and Roses. Right. And then The Lost Weekend is about alcoholism right. Right. and addiction. So my only my point is, yes. is that I was watching both films and finding myself, you know, not caught up so much in the story and thinking that it was so interesting to tell the story from and whether they were conscious of that or not, but literally both films are from the parents' point of view, and then both films end with just horrible statistics yep. about um, about drug addiction. But I wondered, uh, as an audience member, in terms of watching it, if you both films never really got into why the person, and I guess we can't ever. You know, you you can't ever really say, gee, why did this person, you know, start um, their drug addiction? However, in the films that I mentioned, I it was you know, Hatful of Rain is just an incredible uh, film, 
and you understand why uh, the you know the guy becomes a drug addict. Same thing with Frank Sinatra. Mm. You you kind of understand why he becomes a drug addict. And Days of White and Roses and The Lost Weekend. Mm-hmm. So it's from the addict's point of view. Right. So I, I'm just curious of other cineasts out there and movie watchers. And sometimes it's fun just to be, um, you know, just to be uh, edit, you know, your own. I don't know, edit, editorializing on, on the film, yeah. as it were. And I wonder if that's a, a flaw or not. You know, I'm just saying as an objective viewer, but you saw, which one did you see? I saw Beautiful Boy. And what did you think? Um, well, you know, I, I hear what you're saying. And I think it just, it, you know, it, it's what kind of movie do you want to make? You know, who do you want to be your protagonist? And what story do you want to tell? And that that will change right. based on who you're choosing to be. You know, who, who the protagonist is changes who, what the story is. So the movie I thought you were going to say was Requiem for a Dream. Oh, right. I forgot. That's another one. Yeah. Again, told exactly from the, oh, my God. Yeah. Harrowing. And that one, when I finished watching that movie, I went, drugs are bad. I mean, that was like basically the, you know, I mean, it was, it was devastating, incredibly right. devastating in so many ways. And um, a kind of a PSA for please don't do drugs. Yeah, I did a, uh, a, a drug film called uh, Life is Hot in Cracktown many years ago. And man, it was challenging for me mm. because it's just not, it's not my thing. I don't right. understand um I don't understand, you know, I just, it's not something that I would ever, you know, become in, involved in. And right. so therefore, I'm slightly fascinated as yes. to how somebody, in both the films, they're depicted as upper class, you know, wealthy kids that right. get, get involved in drugs. Right. And so I found myself going, well, where are they getting the money to get all this crystal meth and yeah. and things like that? Anyway, it was just a very interesting thing. And I wonder if the makers of the movie, I don't read reviews of, of films. Right. I just like to watch the films. And I like to watch all the films because I always like to see what's going on out there. Yeah. But I have to say that I found myself... You know, when I watch a scene like, and and I just interviewed uh, Piper Laurie a few days ago, who did Days of, you know, she did the live television version of Days of Wine and Roses, mm-hmm. and again, it is, you know, you just need a bath afterwards right. from watching some of these films, and some of the recent ones, I just wonder, I'm just curious if it was um, a mistake to do it from the parents' point of view, because although it's heart wrenching and awful, I you. You never really. The most fascinating part of the film for me yeah. was when he got a sponsor. At a certain point in the movie, he got a sponsor, and I was so totally into that because I was like, "Ooh, what is it? What is it? I what really does that wanted mean? to How does know. That work? What's the process? What's, yeah, I yeah. really wanted to know more about what it's like to have a sponsor and letting your sponsor down, and again, the nature of addiction because obviously, more and more people are becoming addicted to drugs and I don't know why they're becoming addicted to drugs and it's horrible and you know I wish we could save it in movies so often point to social causes that that yeah. we're able to to talk about it. So anyway, I just thought that that was kind of um that was kind of interesting. I think it's an interesting discussion point and and I I just think it depends on what story do you want to tell. You know, because this was obviously from the standpoint or from the viewpoint of the guy of the father who wrote for Rolling Stone, wrote the article, wrote the book, you know, wrote his experience and story. So, of course, it's going to come from his point of view. Beautiful boy I'm talking about. Right. But uh, as I said, what the 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 compass. What, what am I saying? The contrasting, wanting to contrast with the other film was it was literally the exact same film, which was wow. just so, you right. know, it was then from Julia Roberts point, point right. of view. And it's the same thing. The frustrate it, it yeah. literally beat yeah. for beat for beat. And everybody who's out there who's seen the movie is going to say that they almost probably canceled each other out because although they were both wonderful, they both told the story point from right. the parents right. point of view. Um, Drugstore Cowboy was another one that I was thinking of. Oh, my God. That movie's horrible. But, oh, my God. You know. Um, anyway, not to. And then on a lighter note. Yes. I uh, I'm, I'm I would love to give an open invitation to someone I haven't seen in many years, uh, the actor, the fantastic actor Rupert Everett. <gasps> and I ran into a neighbor today on my walk, 
uh, who's friends with him, and we were in a film yeah. together uh, many years ago called uh, The Next Best, Next Best Thing, directed by John Schlesinger. Oh, nice. And he was a riot, and I've got pictures of with him, and he was such a nice man. And I think this film that he did this year, which is called The, the Happy uh, Prince. Oh, okay. And which I've recommended to many, many people. It's like literally one of my top five movies. I don't know how you can see it, um, but look for it. He he wrote it, and you know we've talked so much about *Stars Born*, written and directed, starring Bradley Cooper. *The Happy Prince* was written and directed and starring Rupert Everett. And he just gives. If you like Oscar Wilde, which I love Oscar mm. Wilde, it, this is just a beautiful film, uh, beautifully directed, beautifully acted, and very very uh, interesting and about love and the. You know, beauty and uh, it's overtly romantic and tragic at the same time. And I love movies like that. I mean, one of my favorite movies is Madame Bovary. So it has that. So if you're looking for like a cozy, sad, you know, movie that's not about drug addiction, (laughs) (laughs) my recommend is... And Rupert, come be on the show. I hope so. We've got a Skype with him. He was fantastic. And I'll drag out all my... Polaroid pictures Maybe he's in I LA for something. He can be here in real life too. I would, he can have a sleepover at my house. I would love it. <laughs> Alrighty. Okay. On that note, let's go get Donna. On that note, pardon my voice. I have a little bit of a uh, frog in my throat today. Um, but I am going to talk. Yes, Donna Pescow here has, of course, she's had a very long and varied career. And uh, she started off Broadway, which led to her breakout role, of course, as Annette in the iconic film Saturday Night Fever. But she has been obviously on television sitcoms like Angie, Out of This World, even Stevens, soap operas like All My Children. Uh, of course, then she was on The Sopranos. Who could forget that? New Girl in the Flash. Please welcome my guest, Donna Pescow. Thank you so much for, for being here today. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. My, It's it's an honor. Thank you. It's um, mutual. Now, we, you grew up in, in reading about you, you grew up in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. I know that. Your father owned a newsstand. First of all, just out of curiosity, how does one, come, how does one go about owning a newsstand? Well, see, I never is, thought of that. This is an interesting... He was actually not my dad. Okay. He was my best friend's dad. Okay. But because he was like a surrogate dad, I would call him dad. Oh, I see. And I signed a picture saying, to dad, you know, that he had up in his newsstand. It was in... Um, one of the big buildings in Wall Street, and so a million people would go in and out of there. Yes. And for years, people have told me they knew my dad, and they were so. <laughs> oh, wow. And I, I loved him like he was my dad, so right. I would just say, yes, he was wonderful. And so, but I don't know how he he ended up at that newsstand. <laughs> Other than he did. I just always thought, like, as a career, you know, how did you, like, I want to run a newsstand, you know? It's kind of like this very New York thing, though. Yes. Where you'd sort of see people all the time. A lot of them were outside. This one was inside, which I think was pretty pretty high end. Yeah, that is like in the big, yeah. Yeah, It was in one of the big uh, Wall Street buildings. Uh, Remember the days where there was three or four newspapers and... Mm-hmm. It was the fun days. Okay, now another thing that was interesting, very interesting to me, because we're going to get to, because I always ask people the first movie you saw, but I know that your uh, grandfather was a man named Jack Goldress, mm-hmm. and he worked in vaudeville as a stage manager, right. which I find for anything about vaudeville, I'm obsessed uh, <laughs> with. And then he was also an RKO projectionist. Yes. But so in in it was this vaudeville in New York City, like it downtown? Was. He worked at uh, the RKO Albi, which was a beautiful, one of the old, fabulous theaters with the marble staircases mm-hmm. and the incredible chandeliers. And, um, and when uh, vaudeville was in its uh, heyday, they would play the palace and then the Albi or the Albi in the palace. Mm-hmm. So he got all of the great acts there wow. and um, became a movie projectionist when things changed. And he worked at that theater for, I don't know, 56 years or 55 yeah. years. Sounds like Cinema Paradiso. Very know? much so. And <laughs> I, I used to spend uh, Saturdays with him in the booth. So it was 
just magical, really yeah. fantastic. I, so was that part of the first movie you ever saw? Do you remember, or, or do you remember a separate like watching a movie on TV? Or? I think that you know, I I really thought about this. is such a good question, and um, because I spent so much time in that booth, you know, yeah. I thought, well, was it the first? But I I think the first movie that made a giant impression on me was um, at Radio City Musical. My mom took me and my sister to see Toby Tyler, mm-hmm. which was about a little kid running away from home and joining the circus. Wow. And between the show with the Rockettes and the whole oh. vibe of... The uh, best. Yeah. I mean, and the theater is so magnificent. And they used to give out little booklets, too. They did. I mean, you, it was an event. It wasn't yes. just going... So between that uh, stage show and the film... Mm-hmm. Um, I just remember being in awe more than the storyline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then going with my, my grandfather uh, to the Albee on Saturdays and then having sort of free reign there. So if I was bored in the booth, I would run around the back of the theaters and you know yeah. see all the things that were left over from whoever. So when you started doing movies, because this is one of the things I really miss about movies, and you'd hear that sound of the camera. Was it that same sort of romantic sound oh, for you? Sure, and, absolutely. You know, when they put the new mag in, it always was <laughs> so, the set. you know, that's what I always, I really miss that. I know with digital, it's not quite the same. But it is, it, you know, the older movie making process is so right. romantic and so... Wonder and magical, really, yeah. and um, I think it's when you the same thing when you see um, a movie studio for the first time. When I mm-hmm. first came to California, um, and and I had a meeting at Fox, and the Dolly Hello Dolly set was still up, and oh my god, and all of the uh, magic that yes. that has. You know, you just walk around, you did think you s- you're in a dream. It's did crazy. you sneak in or anything? Like, did you? Oh, I. I did as much as I possibly could. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just happened to find myself yeah. near Barbara Streisand's oh, dressing room. I'm so room. sorry to bother you. I <laughs> really didn't mean to be in your film, but here I am. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so then going back. Now, this is something funny that we have in common, although I didn't do very well there. I We both went to the American Academy, although you, you probably did very well. I only lasted a year. They were not they were not thrilled with me. And then later <laughs> I went to the neighborhood. As I've depicted in my book, mm-hmm. the head of the school uh, took my hand on the last day of school and said, goodbye, Ileana. No, really? Oh, <laughs> <That's a> true story. <laughs> Wonderful. Her name, she may have even been there because she was rather older. Her name was Harrietta Paterka. I do remember. Oh, my God, I know. Oh. Yes. Anyway, but so. they... I, may she rest in peace. Yeah. She oh, was, did she? Oh. She got run over by a, by oh, a boss. An actor? And I wrote, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wrote about this. It, it, like I said, I mean, I had nothing to do with it, but it is sad. She was, she was run over. Officially. She was, I'm sorry, Harrietta. Having yeah. a laugh at your expense. Well, it was. I I actually did that school in three years. It's a two year school. Yes, but I, I don't rub it in, Donna. No, 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 no. I know. no. The, the reason years... I did the reason I didn't do it in two is because I wasn't quite there yet. Uh-huh. Uh, so you know they they gave me an extra. You know it was kind of like going to school on the little bus. But right. no, it it was just I I had. Um, I was right out of high school, so I was yes. trying so hard to absorb it all and and. Um, I think I did okay, but not great. Mm-hmm. So they said, "Okay, we'll we'll let you." My recollection of the school and uh, was that it was, you know, which I had no regrets. Obviously, everything is fun, but it was a potpourri of acting styles. Mm-hmm. So there was uh, Meisner technique. There was Stella Adler. There mm-hmm. was Uta Agen. So mm-hmm. it it was recklessly went. You know, it depended on how the teacher was trained. Yes. So um, there was a teacher there named Max Fisher. Do you remember Max? No, that name doesn't. He was um, ring a bell. An older. He was Reinhardt's Hamlet. Okay. And he, came, you know, this was his big. And he was. Uh, he did um, Shakespeare and uh-huh. uh, the classics and all, and very serious and and uh, very intense man. And I think he had uh, more of a Stanislavski sense of what was going on and I think I sort of gravitated more to that and others were sort of visiting that theory but you know yeah, different variations. Yeah, and then yeah. when I went to the Playhouse, I, I, I the Meisner technique, because I did have one teacher whose name was Janice Powell, and she taught Meisner, and I really gravitated towards that. Oh, that's 
brilliant. It's a brilliant. Yeah, and absolutely. that helped me, you know, the the you know the most. But mm-hmm. the and the Stanislavski was, you know, I I found it to be the hardest actually to do because it te- kept me out of the scene. But it, it'd be interesting when we get to Saturday Night Fever. I want to talk about well it's, preparation. Yeah, and, it's interesting because I I had my years with Lee Strasberg bef- before, yes. uh, which is a whole other kind of dive in with you know. Head first, don't look. I can't even imagine. Just, just the audience watching you. Yeah, but I, it, it, oddly enough, you know, <laughs> I remember the first, um, my first class with Lee, I saw these two people acting and they were just, just so tortured and upset. And, and I'm watching and I'm thinking, God, this, this must be Chekhov or, or Lorca or, so, and I'm hearing, Mel and Edna, Mel and I'm thinking Mel and Edna, Mel and Edna. There's no <laughs> Mel and Edna in anything I've ever read with Shakespeare or Czech. They were doing Prisoner of Second Avenue, <laughs> but it was so deep and so. And I was, I thought, why am I here? It's I didn't get it. <laughs> but but to to uh, you know um, to say Lee Lee was said it was way too intense. But people would really go all out, even if they were doing you know Neil Simon. Oh. <laughs> Believe me, most acting exercises always ended up in some crazy fist fight or it just got really, I mean, I remember the teacher, you know, I often wonder now with acting, but, you know, when we went to school, it was really to break down oh, yeah. inhibitions and mm-hmm. and rebelling against your college and sure. parents and everything. So everything was, everything was pretty wild. Very intense. It was a yeah. very intense time. That's what I remember. Okay, yeah. so you got out of school, and then you, did you immediately, and you also had a background in doing music, right, and singing? And I, I started as a singer at one point. I, I sang at some of the best bowling alley lounges in Brooklyn. <laughs> really fabulous. Well, I, you must have been very young. To I was be. 60. I lied. I was, oh. I was always short, but I always, you know. How does one perform at a bowling like you're singing all of a sudden. League Cream. night is nothing to discuss. It's not a fun time. Um, <laughs> you would have these talent shows. to be in a movie, it a was, singer in a bowling it alley. It was. It was Gil it's Hodges' fun. Strikes and Spares Lounge. Oh, my God, I love and, that. And um, they would that. have talent nights. And uh-huh. then if you were lucky, you got booked. I don't yeah. know. I can't remember, actually, if it was talent night or I actually got booked because there wasn't a sober person in the room. Um, but it was, you know, <laughs> it was good training. That's so funny. It's a challenge. What are some? Do you remember some of the songs you did? Jesus Christ Superstar was. Uh, oh my God! So I you did Jesus well, at a bowling alley. It, I, love I sang. It. I don't know how to love him, and they told me how. It was. <laughs> oh. It was not pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's so funny. Okay, so you were doing that, and then you got a little bit of a stint off Broadway. Mm-hmm. Were. You did you audition for movies before Saturday Night Fever that you didn't get in, or that was like your that first? That was it. That was the first, which was a blessing because I had no clue, mm-hmm. and you know, ignorance is bliss. And I, I had no clue whether I was uh, doing a large part, a small part. I assumed it was you know a walk on, mm-hmm. um, and there wasn't a lot of uh, material. They give you sides, and. Um, I had a few lines, but mostly they were interested in doing improvisational work. Uh, so I really had no idea where this was going or what, what happened with it. I can imagine that at the time, though, I mean, it must have been everybody wanted to be. Well, first of all, it seems like way back in the day, anything in, that came to New York, every actor. <laughs> it's true. A yeah. law and order. There's 30 people yeah. outside <laughs> That's very true. from Broadway. That's you know. true. But um, so when you auditioned, did you audition? Because this is the other interesting thing. Well, a couple of things. But the the original director was John uh, Avildsen, right? right? And and how and so he had done Rocky, and then got yeah. this film. And um, I uh, I auditioned three times for him, and wow. again with mostly improvisational work based on the sides, mm-hmm. and um, with not a lot of. Background, but uh, Shirley Rich, who was a casting director at the time and did tons of films, um, was such an actor, uh, an actor's person. You know, she really, mm-hmm. and she, she had said to me, um, you know, I know you're from Brooklyn, um, and so just kind of embrace that. But you don't sound like you're from Brooklyn, and I want to bring you back. But you need to, and and so. I, 
but at the academy, yeah. they told you you would never work if you had right. a regional accent. So I, I worked that. very hard to get rid of it. And then, mm-hmm. of course, just a weekend with my family. It was cute. <laughs> <Came> but <laughs> but um, so I got called back again when John Badham started. Uh, yes. On the film. Yeah. And and um, was there any particular reason? I mean, first of all, it's fascinating. John Avildsen doesn't seem right for the film, nor does John Badham, <laughs> except that it's such a great musical uh, film. It's so interesting. But I think that, and we were, this is part of what we were talking about outside, is that everybody, we all remember the music, but people mm-hmm. don't remember the gritty aspects of it. So I'm sure that when you were first auditioning, it seemed like a gritty much more of gritty, you know, like last exit to Brooklyn or yeah. something, you know. But in the auditions, you know, I don't I what I remember more than anything was just kind of um it was more about being um sort of street savvy mm-hmm. and understanding peer pressure and kind of what would you do if you liked someone and they didn't like you and you know it was more it, it, they didn't get into the really intense mm-hmm. dark side um until i read that script so it was news to me <laughs> as well how dark this was was going to be ultimately and were you a per you know you were in sort of show business but were you aware of like clubbing and going over the bridge and the bridge and tunnel and steve rebel and none you know it. this none of it you never went to discotheques we uh with the exception of john travolta because he was too recognizable all mm. of us went to that club one friday night to see Love what it. it was like and yeah. i went in there with jeans and i think i had on a, a yeah. plaid shirt maybe a jean jacket and it was like sore thumb <laughs> you know? it was you know, alarms going off don't belong here you know um it was completely new to me i had no clue yeah um, really about any of it well and and the other thing we were talking about is that that it was based on this um uh, magazine article from uh the new yorker mm-hmm. magazine and had you been aware of the uh the the article i i been given the article mm-hmm. um, with the script when we when everything was finalized, and um, you know, growing up in Brooklyn, I I understood that, um, but Brooklyn is so big and there's so many different areas in Brooklyn, and you're very sort of territorial with your area. And right. I don't I'm from Sheepshead Bay, and so it was a little tamer, uh-huh. um, a little calmer. Um, I think the disco scene was probably happening, but I didn't really know about it. Yeah. Um, and I had moved away kind of by then, so I wasn't really into what was going on in, in the Brooklyn music scene so much. Did they have a, was there like a table read, you know, with everybody? Because the other great, I mean, you mentioned the casting person, Shirley Rich, who, I mean, the casting is just impeccable. You know, there's no one else. As you watch the film, there's, I mean, I'm thinking of like Barry Miller. (laughs) There's nobody else you want to see in that part. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Barry Miller. So, but you you sort of hung out, you said, a little bit. John Badham, who's a great actress director. um, We, I think we had, I'm going to say a week or two of pre-production rehearsal. Mm -hmm. And that's what he wanted. He wanted us all to get to know each other and sort of start to feel like somewhat of a gang. Yeah. And um, I remember at some point during, it, we, we would read, we would do scenes and all, and then we all went to lunch, and he said, stay stay character, you know? And so we went to some pizza joint somewhere, and they were <laughs> so mean to me, they ignored me. Aww. You know, they all ordered their pizzas, sat down, left me standing there, you know, and then finally <laughs> someone pulled a chair up for me. But it was it was great prep, you know? yeah. Well, and uh, did you have, how did you, you, I know in reading about it, you said a lot of the clothes were sort of bought off the rack. (laughs) I mean, your clothes are fit. And your hair, I mean, your hair is just, in the movie, is just another incredible. It had its own zip code. It was kind of, uh, the makeup, I mean, everything about it is perfect. And again, everyone connected to this film did so much research and so much homework. And um, the, the clothing again. This budget was very small, by the way. So mm-hmm. uh, I think they had a million dollars or a million two for everything, uh, and they were putting um, 
aluminum foil on the walls of 2001 to make it look a little more yeah. exciting. And I think they put the floor in, but other than that, it was pretty much what the was there. Um, but the clothes were pretty much bought in the neighborhood, if possible, and off the rack. And with yeah. the maybe, I think, obviously, John's white suit was 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 very specific and yeah. you know they wanted to get I don't think it would cost a lot of money but they certainly knew what they wanted <laughs> now um, it now it's worth a lot yeah yeah so uh, no it was very authentic everything they went for and um I wanted to talk about Lester Wilson who is the mm-hmm. choreographer of of the film and also uh Denny Terrio did some didn't he, did he work Denny a l- worked with John prior to the film I see yeah. I see so mainly it is Le- Lester, Lester Wilson yeah, yeah and what was that experience like had you done dancing before I had danced in in musicals. Mm-hmm. Um, I never considered myself a, a dancer. I always said I can dance if need be, you know. Kind right. Of. Um, but this was a style I had nothing. Oh, disco no, is not easy. No, but I, I also didn't know sort of what that all was, and um, it, it's kind of you know a combination of so many other things. I mean, you can people throwing over like the Lindy or the you know right. whatever you can kind of sort of put together but um lester had this amazing talent to find out what your strength was and what worked for you mm-hmm. um and made you look good and of course john can do anything i mean the man defies gravity he can dance yeah he's like, pretty he's unbelievable just extraordinary so with that you know i have a strong dance partner which mm-hmm. is half of it right there so and lester knew what i did well and really worked on what I did well and sort of worked within that mm-hmm. as where the dance would live. And um, the dance we actually did was was a bit longer than what's on uh, on film because of to- we did the entire Disco Inferno, which is oh. know, three hours long. It's, it's, it's a very long. <laughs> it's a very long. Song. Did you dance to the Bee Gees music? Did you have the music then? No. Oh, my God. You're no. kidding. No. I think we wow. had, we had, um, oh, I wish I could. So you must have died when you saw the original movie, you must have just flipped out. Well, I, we, we had it for, we didn't have it for rehearsal, mm-hmm. but we had it for filming. Um, but we, the, the film was shot backwards. So all the dance was done at the end. Oh, interesting. So people had more time okay. with it. And the music could be written. <laughs> yeah, I see. I think there was more to it then. Right. Um, but we heard Night Fever maybe a day or two or, or so before we danced in Night Fever. We were using something yeah. that was like that in rehearsal. Yeah. God, and so. what, what you, the first time you heard Night Fever, what did, what did oh, you... Oh, it was unbelievable. Yeah. And you said that when we were talking outside, you said this film, it, it connects with everybody because it connects to a certain part of their life or their childhood or... Yeah. And with me too. I remember, I think it was the first double album I ever bought. Really? Yeah. And it it could have been the first R-rated film, you know, because at that time, they were just starting to really rate films on that level. And um, I think they wanted to make this an X-rated movie because of the amount of of profanity in it and Mm -hmm. some of the nudity... Um, obviously, the content was a little raw, but and I think there was a tremendous um, scene between Robert Stigwood and Paramount, and you know, to really beg to get it an R rating. Um, so there was that too. People remember it was their first R rated film they went to see, and yes, you know, that oh, was very. And they were too young really to get in, and who brought them, and you know, all of that. So, well, the thing that's always shocking is. You know, as I said, I saw it about again about nine months ago, and it was so upsetting and disturbing. And when we were kids, we'd see it. Ah, oh, the music's great, you know. But when, I was like, "This is harrowing." This, is, you know, it is. I it's, mean, it's really again some of the depictions of the tribalism and you know the machismo and men and women are really mm-hmm. there. It's it's disturbing. But you know, again, I'm guessing, I don't know, is that when you were shooting this, you were just shooting it. You were just thinking Well, you know, I think you realize how how hard the content is and how, you know, um you're going to places that, you know, hopefully most people don't have to. Uh but there was a sense that that was the reality at the time. And I think especially 
for these young girls, which just, you know, breaks your heart. But at the time, I don't think these young girls knew that they had choices. They had sort of a a goal in mind, many of them. And my character, I I mean, I kind of played it that way, where the goal was to find the guy and get married and live in the neighborhood where your parents live Mm -hmm. and go to church and do all those things that you're doing now as a teenager, but just do them as an adult. And then, you know, it's a very um, traditional background that a lot of these kids come from. And they find themselves in a situation where they have to play a game to kind of get to where they think they need to go. And for my character, you know, she, um, there's a scene where he says, uh, I I took you on a date and all you talked about was your married sister. Mm -hmm. And there was a real key to that character right there because that's what she wanted. She wanted to be married and have kids and live in the neighborhood you know, no major career goals or any of that kind of thing. Right. And she, I mean, it also seems like, you know, that by just being a, an obedient doormat, mm-hmm. eventually he'll realize that she's perfect for him. Exactly. Which is such an, when you watch it with this, but again, I, you know, I grew up, I have been relatives in Queens and this mm-hmm, is was mm-hmm. not far off. No. From what I grew up with, and this was like, again, the 1980s, traditional, you know, men went out and they were in construction and women, you know. It was a blue collar yeah. um, existence where there were, uh, and and I think in the neighborhood I grew up in as well, there were generations of the same family living in the neighborhood. So it wasn't Tribal. just your mom and dad. Exactly. So I think this was an extension of all of that. Mm-hmm. You know, you marry a guy from the neighborhood or you... You know, you know his family, so right. it was that kind of thing. And going to college is, is sort of suspicious. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, that's it's very like, true. You yeah. know, you like you get a good job in construction. You know, but there's a line that that uh, <laughs> that I'm always you know referencing where, they, where there's this scene in the um, the paint store with John where the owner says to him, "Look, so and so's been with me 16 uh, years. So and so, 25 years. How can you?" And you know, and, and you just say, "Oh my!" And you can see it on his face in that scene, going, "Oh, do I really want to do this for twenty five years?" Yeah, you know. But and the dancing again—that's why it's fun to look at it in modern ways. The dancing represented the only escape out of the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if you couldn't afford to go to college, mm-hmm. you had this—you know—this outlet. It was—it was the your fifteen minutes also. That was if right. you wanted to go someplace and shine, and you wanted to go someplace and not be ordinary. Mm-hmm. That was the thing to do. Yeah. If you could dance and you could gather a crowd and people would applaud what you do, then well, that was John's character. He yes. was the star of the neighborhood on Fridays and Saturday nights. You know, but then Monday he had to go back to the paint store. So, <laughs> so I was also reading that when you shot, there were so many people th- around shooting. I love this about New York. That happened a little bit. I did this movie Goodfellas, and it was a little that, bit that little film Goodfellas. Yeah, a few people saw that. I think. <laughs> I mean, there was cra- you know, you'd open the door, and there be like hundreds of people holding up grinders for Robert De Niro. Hey, you know, and I'm and that's one of the fun things about shooting in New York. But you had that same experience, and you had to hand out fake uh, call sheets. Call sheets. Oh, oh my god! Crazy. Do you have any? Do you keep things? Are you? A I keeper? do. I do, oh, and I, I probably have uh, some of that. But the, Love the, stuff. they started to, um, you know, uh, really try and, and deal with the crowd <laughs> at one point, and then the crowd got mad. I was sitting in the trailer at one point with John and another actor, and uh, waiting to go, and all of a sudden it started to rock, and. The, the crowd outside was angry that yeah. we hadn't come out or they were and started to rock the trailer. And <laughs> I think they had enough money for like two security people. Yeah. You know? So everybody that was on the crew started going, please, please don't do that because you'll kill the actors. Really? If this, you know, <laughs> and that would be bad. Then yeah. They'll never see this movie. Yeah, we'll come out. We promise, but don't kill the actors first, you know? So, so did you have a sense? I mean, I'm imagining you did, even though you said it was a low budget movie, and it was outside the mainstream, but I'm sure that you had a sense that you were part of something cool. I certainly felt that on Goodfellas. I think everybody knew this was something special. Yeah. Um, I don't think anybody predicted that it would become this... Phenomenon. Yeah. 
But I think everyone knew that it was something really unique and, mm-hmm. and really wonderful because, you know, the work was so good and everybody was so committed. Yes. And there was such a sense of um, making it as best as it could possibly be. There was there was nothing going on other than this tremendous love for the project. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you have that environment, you know, it's... it's every, oh, I can't handle my... <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, everybody does, you know, their best and then some. So that was right. the vibe always. Yes, the, 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 the music and the dancing scenes are balanced uh, with the harrowing, you know, s- scenes and, again, the social aspects of it. And so a couple of the scenes, of course, the, they're very, very difficult. I mean, they're very, very challenging to, to watch is, uh, of course, one of the scene with you, with the guys. And it just must have been uh, very challenging to shoot. I mean, when we watch it in the modern in a modern context, it's like you can't even imagine, you know, yeah, it was this is where all that acting training that we right. talked about earlier, you know, comes to play. Because, you know, for if you for me. If I look at it and say, okay, Donna, this is what you have to do, I right. go into a panic. If I go back to acting class and I say, okay, immerse yourself in the character, mm-hmm. immerse yourself into what the character's thinking, and, you know, break it down that way. And that was my lifeline, was to just hang on like crazy to to the acting part of it. Yes. Yeah. It's almost like you have an out-of-body experience. Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. I find it harder when I'm watching the movie later on. When you're doing it, you're in the act of performing, but it's later on, like when you're back at the hotel room or whatever, that I, I find, for me anyway, all that emotion. I completely understand that. You fall apart later. Yeah. But you, you hold it together. Yeah. yeah. And... They because again the technical aspects that you're in a car and you've got the cameraman and all. Did you have any? Um, how did they? Did you have a again a couple types? When I've done scenes like that, they've they've emotional preparation where I've said, "Listen, I'm going to need emotional mm-hmm, preparation," mm-hmm. and then I give them a little nod mm-hmm. when I'm ready. Did you have any kind of signals like that? And again, John with- Badham. This is where he was brilliant. He had a closed set, first of all, and he told me, he said, no one who doesn't have to be there will be there. So it's going to be a very small crew. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, you're in a, I don't know if they had a garage or some warehouse, and it's just the back of the car. It's not, you know, it's like two pieces. And so, you know, the camera's right here, you know, and you're there. And um, the actors I were w- was working with were as sensitive to mm-hmm. what was going on and so sweet and dear and you know if you need me to stop or you, you know and we kind of walked through what was going to be going on and all and it was really handled with so much sensitivity and such uh, care about it being as I said as comfortable as possible um and with that, and you know, Lee Strasberg in one ear and Max Fisher in the other ear and they're, <laughs> they're telling me you know think about this think about that you know so um I think it could have been so much worse. It wasn't f- fun, but it wasn't right. horrible. It was, it was, you know, in my, in my, um, sorry, I really should put these on so I don't keep, <laughs> um, okay. in my uh, acting repertoire, it's a high point because I feel like I accomplished what I wanted to accomplish. Right. Um, had I known when I saw the final what it would be, I don't know if I could have. I totally hear you. As I said, you see it later and you're like, oh, my God, that poor girl. And and again, what, you know, what you had said, which I read somewhere is we all know in Annette. And Mm -hmm. I so related to that. We all knew somebody like that who who traded on stuff like that to be loved. And that's why it was so sad. And to me, Mm -hmm. one of the. I'm, I'm I'm wondering how your reaction, and then later on when um, Travolta has, he says, "Are you proud of yourself now?" Now was that an improv? I'm curious. Was that like an improv at all? Because it seems like there's a lot of improv in the movie. It could have been. You know, I think we would so often go off, off script. Yeah. Um, and you know, again, John Badham said, "Just go for it if you feel." And I think, I think that might have been. I'd have to go back and look, but I remember. 
that scene where she gets out of the car and then she runs down the bridge, everybody had, you know, their own version in their head of what would happen. Was she going to jump? Yeah. Was she going to collapse? Was he going to, you know, nobody really wanted to have a, a an end point to it mm-hmm. because I think that's why it worked so well is that, uh, you know, again, he said, well, don't, don't tell them what you think you're going to do or don't really get too far into this. Just just go with it. Yeah. And um, when I ran out, I mean, I, I knew John was going to run after me, but I didn't quite know he was going to catch me or, you know, I wasn't yeah. sure exactly where a lot of it was going to go. You also had a discussion with John Badham about whether or not, which I thought was fascinating, which I never even thought of, of whether or not she was a virgin <laughs> before this night, which made it even more disturbing. This is so funny. This is the, you know, the uh, uh, the Virgin Chronicles. I, I um <laughs> There's a scene prior to this where she's in the back seat. I, this is an interesting interview. She's in the back seat with John, and I, in my head, nothing went that far because she didn't have protection. Right. So they stop. So in my head, I played it in, in my that it never. Um, they never consummated their moment together. In John Badham's head, they did, okay. and I said no. <laughs> Because the next scene, when she's in the back seat with the rest of the company, yeah. uh, you know, it doesn't, it won't play the same. Right. If, you know, so to whether it is in his mind or my mind, I don't know if he'll ever agree on it. Yeah. But, you know, I felt that it had to be that she didn't go that far with um, the man she loved, and mm-hmm. now she's going that far with these two, which I don't know if she was even aware that that was going to be the outcome of it. Yeah. You know, so. And it really is depicted. I mean, I always really feel as if you really love him, you mm-hmm. know. I mean, it really comes across. Yeah, in her, however, 19-year-old, you know, that's what love was. That's, yeah. You know, and she was saving herself for him and all of that. And, you know, and for me also, I played, um, again, the neighborhood was primarily Italian Catholic. Mm-hmm. And so there was that. And uh, you don't, if you come from an Italian Catholic family and you adhere to what all of that is, you don't do anything till your wedding night. Right. Even if, you know, it's kind of cool in pop culture or whatever that, you know, that they have mm-hmm. their nights out dancing and then they go into the cars. I felt Annette was a little more traditional or I wanted a player that way. So yes. the ending was stronger for me to play, having not only, you know, let herself down, but let her family down and God down and whatever else. Um, a couple of the great character actors, uh, you know, Julie Bavasso oh. is in the film. And it's just so much fun to see Julie Bavasso. She was an acting teacher, wasn't she? Or might, she might she, have been. Or like a private teacher she or something. Might have, I, I just, everything she's... She's fantastic. Oh, just everything she's ever done has been flawless did you have was there any downtime on the set where you sat around and oh, chatted sure, and, sure yeah. i mean because travolta was on was he on a hiatus from welcome yeah. back hotter yeah so yeah, that was. must have been surreal it too was, well because Just, the, the, all these fans adored him from welcome back hotter and so you see the you contrast know, it's so crazy it's like right? <laughs> today you go that's crazy yeah you know, it was it was to be doing such a dark film and not really thinking anything about it. And no. the other thing that's shocking, too, is just as an aside, when you see the movie and it's like it opens and he's in his underwear and the Al Pacino. <laughs> but, but it's just such a it just calls back to so many things. And I don't know a male movie star today that would be as brave and vulnerable in a performance as he yeah. is. He, he It's such a great, great Totally film. gave himself to that character. Yes. Just, and so... Uh, there's so much brilliance there, and and there's um, he makes fun of himself, such you know? in- innocence and vulnerability, and yeah, yeah. And, and exactly. I thought yeah. what was interesting was the contrast that of he's this total male chauvinist, and yet again, there's like a, a sadness about him, there, you know, because he knows he's not very smart, and and I I think there's so many elements possibly of John Travolta that are that have bled out in the. In that real character, I don't know. I well, just he think also it's... was um, 
he was uh, losing Diana Highland at the same time. Right. Was, another odd. I mean, the the juggling of emotions that this man. Yeah. And um, but you know, he's the sweetest guy in the whole world, and and no matter what would go on in a scene, yes. at the end of the scene, he would always say, "Are you happy? Do you want another one?" Ah. You know which was amazing and this was everyone else's first movie right so and of course i have to ask you well do you stay in touch and then how many times do, do people ask every time when you're at a wedding does do people want to dance <laughs> well this is so funny um <laughs> they want to disco with you well not so much now because most of them are in walkers but oh. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, but yes, I used to. But oddly enough, uh, John and I were just at a wedding for his brother's daughter's uh, marriage. Uh-huh. And uh, John said, oh, come on, let's dance. And I was terrified. Oh. I said, I, I don't know how to do this anymore. And, you know, and I knew he would. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. How did it go? It was, it was uh, surreal. It was very wow. strange. It was okay, but fun. But you know, I was uh, I was really oh, nervous. I want to course. see that reunion, I know, right? Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> yes. All right, we've spent so much time on that um, movie, but of course, it's such an amazing uh, film. And I didn't even get to the the scenes on the Verrazano Bridge are so upsetting. And you're you, I mean, again, you know, back in the day when they had no CGI, it's mm-hmm. like no, mm-hmm. they're on that bridge. The coldest. It was the strange weather that it was. Um, it was March, I think, uh, but it was like with the wind chill factor, it was like two, mm-hmm. and nobody had coats on. You know, we were just so there were those big, you know, blowers to keep you yeah. warm and people throwing blankets around you. It was just, but you, when you're, you know, when you're a kid and you're making a movie, you know, you'll do anything. You Plus, it's care. your first films. So, oh, okay. I had, and then it was, yeah. you know, you were uh, nominated for a the New York Film Critics Award, so obviously and it got a lot of success and it was, music, of course, yeah. insane. Yeah, it was amazing. It was the, an amazing time. The you know you think about it, it today, and there was no Twitter or anything like that, and the the you know the success of the film and all over the world, and but I, did they have? As much of a promotion, you know, I'm thinking, oh, they must have sent you all over the world to disco things. But I don't know if they did. I think, again, when the film came out, Paramount thought, well, you know, we'll see. We'll make our money back, whatever. Yeah. You know, they were so unprepared for this. Right. And they suddenly put me on tour and they had John on tour and they had, Mm -hmm. you know, um, but I think it was one of those, gee, we better do something about this. Right. You know, versus this big plan months in advance so um i did do a lot of uh traveling to to promote the film Mm -hmm. um which was so weird because i had nothing to base it on other than this movie this is what you know what about your last film well my last film i was in ninth (laughs) grade you know so (laughs) and then after you did the movie did you have a, any kind of conscious decision of, you know, now I want to do comedies or now I want to do dramas? Like, what did you do? I mean, I I was so thrilled that I could just stop leaving pictures and resumes <laughs> under <in> the, doors. <laughs> right. Um, I had no concept of any of it. I suddenly found myself uh, coming out to California to have meetings with all of these insanely important people. Yeah. Um, and I... I was basically overwhelmed for a year, mm-hmm. um, so I had no no clue where any of it was going to go. And did you eventually decide to do uh, television, or is that you know? Well, I I had been signed to do um, a few films for Ray Stark at the time, and mm-hmm. they kept getting uh, delayed or somehow rewritten, and I was doing a lot of nothing. And uh, Gary Marshall called um, my agent and said, I'd love to meet with her about this series idea mm-hmm. I have. And um, so I had a meeting with Gary, and you've never lived till you've had Gary pitch something to you, because that in itself is is a film, because um, <laughs> he was so hysterically funny. Um, and he says, oh, this is a funny thing about a young girl. She doesn't have any money. She doesn't know what she's doing. She marries a rich man. Now she's rich. <laughs> It's, it's funny, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it's, you know, but he, it, of course it was much more than that. But he, I mean, and I begged my agents, I said, please, 
get me off of this other thing that's not happening. Right. And let me do this show. So yeah. they worked it out. I was really, really lucky. And you got to work with Robert Hayes. Robert Hayes, yes. Now, where is Robert Hayes these days? Robert Hayes picks and chooses. He's uh-huh. good. We're still so close. So it's, funny. Oh, he's just... I. You deadpan. Know, one of these people that you, you 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 know you leave his company and your sides hurt uh-huh. from laughing so much. Um, he's great. He's doing you know whatever he likes to do. If he yes. sees if he sees a film he wants to do, he does that. If he otherwise he goes and plays golf. Um, but we've stayed good friends. He, he's uh, my son's godfather, and uh-huh. I'm his son's godmother, and uh-huh. so it's been very sweet. So you did, um, so you did Angie, and then did you take any a break after that, or did you want to? I mean, because I see so many TV, you know. You know, it's again, it's. Uh, I was supposed to do a film. I've had a very interesting film career where things have happened to stop the film. Um, <laughs> it's like you can hear the breaks. Uh, I was supposed to do a film with uh, Tom Berenger, for at that time MGM was just, I think, in its final. David Beagleman was still there. If you can, wow. Read. Um, and we were all set to go. Amy Heckerling had written this film, and we were all ready to go. And then the actor strike happened, mm-hmm. so that got postponed. Then it went into turnaround and all of that. And so between all of those things, I would do, you know, guest shots, or I'd go back to New York and do a play. Right. Um, and then I think another series came my way. So mm-hmm. you know, and I've been very blessed where the series of work. So I've been, you know, I've got like. I don't know, 100 episodes or 65 episodes. So that's very time-consuming. Yeah. So it takes um, that time away from doing a lot of film work. And then you also made the choice to be on a soap opera, which I can't... I mean, that seems like the hardest thing in the universe. I don't know how they do that. I, <laughs> I don't, but I, you the, did it. Well, I, the soap opera... The only opera, thing I've never done is a soap opera. It's, it's terrifying. It's totally terrifying because you learn more dialogue oh. in one night. But this was a... Um, a groundbreaking uh, uh, role where they had never had a gay character. Mm-hmm. And they, I was, and again, I think this was because of being on ABC, doing Angie, they wanted someone who was recognizable to come in. And it was really a guest shot, mm-hmm. but it was, I think, stretched out to six weeks or something. And it was the first time they'd had a gay character on a daytime show. Wow. So it was, you know, wonderful to be able to, to do that. And ha- I what, mean, what year was that, roughly? Oh, boy. I'm, I'm going to say early 80s. Oh, wow. Yeah. I know you would think it would have happened way yeah. before that. Yeah. 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 I don't know. You'd think. And I'm sure it's on YouTube. I can, uh, everything is. Everything is everything on YouTube. Is, you know, it's lethal. I, I'm sure the dinner you had Tuesday night. <laughs> <is on YouTube. laughs> okay. Another thing I have to ask you about, Rainbow, directed by Jackie Coogan, which I saw. I'm, I, anything about Judy Garland. I'm in, and I was just having a discussion with someone. Uh, we miss great TV movies that mm. you. There used to be these great. I guess now they have sort of mini series on cable, but there used to be these. I used to but love. But you'd weekly, you'd see a little. Yeah, yeah the movie yeah. of the week. Mm-hmm. And what was it like working with Jackie Coogan? Well, it was Jackie Cooper. Cooper, sorry. Yeah, no, no, Jesus. no, that's okay. Well, oh, I Coop, love Jackie, Jackie Coogan Cooper. too. Jackie Cooper. You Apologies. Know, okay, no, no. I have he, a cold. The, it's okay. I, I <laughs> Jackie Cooper. Um, I he. Again, a legend. You know, how do you... Yeah. I think part of why I wanted to do that movie certainly was to work with him. Yes. And um, uh, Piper Laurie was in... I mean, just an amazing... I love uh, Piper Laurie. Uh, so, but he... You know, of course, all I wanted to do was listen to stories about yes. everything. And, and so... And he was more than happy to talk about it. So it was great. He talked about uh, the fact that he... He said, had he not been in the military, he probably would have... Uh, turned into a um, drug user or or uh, some sort of horrifying, you know, mm. egotistical person. He said they, when he got into the military, they really would not, you know, give him an inch mm-hmm. of uh, any kind of ego or any of that. So he really learned how to live as a real person, in a sense. Um, and he would talk about uh, the MGM days. Yeah, and going to school with uh, Judy Garland and uh, Mickey Rooney, and you know, I was like, you know, just extraordinary. Did you? What did you learn about the about um, Judy Garland? Just you know, it's interesting. She died so young. I guess that's what's hard to believe. But she she started so young, and she had 
you know, the uh, the stage mother of of hell, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and um, at that time there were no child labor laws, so they worked her om- at, at the studio almost nonstop. You know, they'd give her medication to get up and medication to go to sleep. And even their school hours were minimal, and that was on the lot. Mm -hmm. Everything was almost in a cultish kind of controlled atmosphere Mm -hmm. where um, she was really not free to do anything on her own that she wanted to do. Um, And so they had this kind of their own reality, all these kids that, that were yeah. in the studio system. You know, they went to school together, they went, and then they, the studio would have them date each other so they could right. but not really date, but just appear at places together. Yes. And so it was a very bizarre... Um, yeah, it makes me think of Roddy McDowell. Exactly. Know, That's right on the money. Right yeah, there. where they would all uh, uh, go out, you know, together. Mm-hmm. Um and then uh, Sopranos, that was another great uh, – That did that come out of the blue? Because you were so it, perfect for the Sopranos. It did. It did. And I was – I thought, oh, God, the show is ending and I'm not on the show. Um, you know, for, for 10 seasons or however long, yeah. I was drooling to get on this show. Um, and then finally I, you know, I got a call and um, I was – it's the first time I have to say in my entire career I was such a fan yeah. that I was like a blithering idiot when when I got yeah. there because I I so loved the, this show and I and I would watch it on DVD all the time. Mm-hmm. They didn't have <laughs> you couldn't stream then, right. you know. So um, I knew every character, every arc, every moment, yeah. and all I wanted to do was just, you know, worship these actors and these mm-hmm. people. And, and um, it, it was it was an amazing thing in, in, to be a part of. And David Chase directed the last episode. So Gandolfini, uh, sweetest man in the entire world, uh, said at the end of uh, one of these, where have you been for 10 years? I said, uh, waiting for you to call, uh, you know. <laughs> I know now they're going to do a prequel. Yes, Yes, that should be really interesting. With his son. Isn't that amazing? So I never got on. The, I, I would have loved to have been on See, the, you should have been on there, too. They should, we should have played sisters, and I it know. could have been a whole other. I would have loved it. Yes. I would have loved it. Lorraine Bracco was on. Um, okay, so now I want to talk about this, the Christmas movie, that you because we've been waiting to get you on the show. But you were away shooting Carol of the Bells. Yes. And this is really fascinating. First of all. Who is it directed by? Joey Travolta. Oh, it's so in the Johnny, family. Johnny's brother. Yeah. that's And so did you know he was going to be directing it when you were offered the part? He called me mm-hmm. and, and said, uh, I have a script I want to send you. And uh, he actually had directed a film years and years ago called Partners that I did with David Paymer uh, mm-hmm. with, for Joey. Um, and, and again... The Travolta family is like an extension of my their, yeah. their family. So he called and said, I have this you know, script I'd like to send you. And he's been working, uh, well, he formed this Inclusion Films, which uh, prior to him being in show business, he was a special ed teacher. Mm-hmm. And he really felt that something needed to be done to have people with disabilities, uh, which I hate that word anyway, but people that have issues mm-hmm. uh, to get into the industry. But they were having such a hard time because there was all of this preconceived, you right. know. So uh, anyway, uh, he started Inclusion Films, and he does these workshops. He's been doing it for, I'm going to say, 10, 15 years mm-hmm. with uh, people that have disabilities, various ages, um, to teach them what it's like to work behind the camera. And they're fabulous. They're wonderful. There's, they're just slightly different than someone else you might hire, mm-hmm. but then they're not when you get to know them. Right. So he started this, and it's been growing and growing and growing for all of these years, and they uh, are now starting to make some leeway into getting people that are in their programs into the industry. In fact, John's last film had... Uh, 
I don't know, six or 12 people from inclusion come mm-hmm. and work on the film. They, they work under the heads of the departments. They're not, they're not um, overwhelmed, but they're doing work. They know how to do it because they've been trained to do it, and they're fabulous. And this film uh, broke new ground. They have 70 people wow. from inclusion working in the crew, uh, and again, all of the heads of the department are professionals, mm-hmm. all of the actors, um, but these people are making this movie happen, and they're doing it brilliantly. And uh, so that's very exciting. Wow, that's yeah. exciting. Yeah. And there's going to be a premiere, right, mm-hmm. in Bentonville, Arkansas? Yes, that's um, uh, Gina Davis mm-hmm. runs that festival. And uh, this is going to be uh, part of that, the opening of the festival. And it's got wonderful actors in it, uh, uh, Lee Purcell and Donna Mills and uh, R.J. Mitty, who did Breaking, Breaking Bad, Bad. Mm-hmm. you know. And uh, just, it's it's a, a wonderful Christmas movie. Had I read the script, mm-hmm. having no idea who Joey was, or I would have wanted to do the script anyway. It's a yes. beautiful Sweet oh, story. Christmas movies are the best. Yeah. On the, and this one especially, because it deals with all of this uh, as a topic in this film. And where is it going to be shown? So, I mean, you're going to have the premiere. Will it be on a network? or? I don't. I think they are trying to do um, feature dis- distribution. Right. Um, I don't know yet. Um, uh, and it'll end up on maybe on Hallmark. Maybe. <laughs> they have the it, Christmas. Certainly, it certainly <laughs> uh, feels like that could be a home for it. But I think, I think that... Um, the festival will dictate a lot of that. Uh huh. Oh well, that's terrific. And the last question I was going to ask you is: you do are you still doing a kind of a uh, your own like you know one woman show kind of singing and nightclub show? You know, I, I haven't for a long time. I, I toy with the idea. Oh, please, uh, yeah, please um, start again. Okay, then. let me get my charts. <laughs> I happen to have. <laughs> I don't know how to love. Crash. That's bang. it. That's strike. <laughs> and let me tell you what went on in that last frame. <laughs> <laughs> but what was your if you were doing the show what what would be uh you know an example like do you tell stories I and, do I do I tell I stories love shows like that. I tell stories I I do music that has to do with those stories Yes um you could be like standard. the K Ballard you could be like the new K Ballard I could I could you know tell st- stories about the neighborhood That's and, it that's it I will uh I will, Only I, I would pitch being well, the new Kay Ballard. Well, and of course, knowing who, Kay Ballard, knowing who Kay Ballard is and what she did, I'm, I'm complimented by it. She realized. was fabulous. No, no, she was wonderful. So are five of our viewers. Yes, <laughs> somebody is still looking up. You know, where, where is that bowling alley? You know, so. Oh my God! I know that would have been the first thing I would have done. Yes. I, I won't me. play bowling alleys this time, though. I'll go back to the bigger rooms. Yes, that is indeed. the funniest thing ever. That's, that's got to be. Um, in a movie. Well, anyway, thank you so much, Donna, for being here. Oh, my pleasure. It, it's been it's a real honor. Thank Thanks. you. I'm thank sorry you. I missed the movie when it played last year on at the anniversary. The, well, on the yeah. anniversary at TCM Film Festival. That's right. Yes, which uh, I missed which, it. Uh, but I'm so thrilled you're there, and I need to. Well, you should come back anytime. It's, okay, we got to I'm gonna. I'll see if I can make that happen. Not okay. that I have any juice, but <laughs> well, do a little bit. Look for Donna in Carol of the Bells. Hopefully, out somewhere this Christmas. Yes, I'll tweet about it when Arkansas. I hear about it. Yes. Thank you, Donna. And you My can buy friend. Ileana's book, I Blame Dennis Hopper. It's yes, out can. in paperback now. Buy it. You should read it. Also, like our Facebook page and check out our website, yes. ilianaspodcast.com. And as I always say, everyone's life is like a movie with a beginning and a middle and an end. And today's the end of our movie. Thank you so much. It's very, very 1978 movie tonight. It is. So <laughs> thanks so much and have a great day, everyone. So long. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network.